0: Take our eyes and see through them, take our ears and hear through them, take our hearts and set them on fire with your love. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. This is my first time preaching here at St. Wilfrid's, and I'll beg your indulgence if I do things a little different from Father Mike and Reverend Allison. Some of you may have noticed that I am barefoot this morning. Now, I encourage you, if it's not too much of a hassle, if you can easily slip off your shoes, to join me in my barefootedness. And if it's going to be a bit of a hassle, then I ask that you um, perhaps virtually go barefoot this evening or this morning and just imagine yourself as barefoot. Now most of you have made the connection from the reading from Exodus as to why I am asking you to bear your feet here in church. At this point in the story, Moses, who was raised from infancy to adulthood in Pharaoh's household, and later killed an Egyptian and then fled into the desert in fear of Pharaoh's retribution, has become a shepherd. In our reading today from Exodus, Moses was out with the flocks when he saw the burning bush. God tells Moses he is going to send him to the Pharaoh to release the Israelites from their slavery. God then tells Moses that his name is I Am. The start of this discussion occurs when Moses approaches the burning bush, and God tells him to remove his shoes because he is standing on holy ground. Now, to be holy means to associate something with God or the divine— to set it apart or to reserve it for a divine purpose. So this particular holy ground is associated with God, represented by the burning bush, and also set aside or reserved as a holy space, a place with a divine purpose, a place where Moses encounters God in a very personal way and is transformed by that experience. And why did Moses have to remove his shoes to stand there? Well, there could be several answers to that question. For starters, in the Middle East, as in other parts of the country, uh, the world, there are traditions of mo- removing one's shoes before entering the house. Now, in biblical times, the roads would have been dirt and perhaps covered with animal droppings, human waste, trash. So it wouldn't have been very clean. People were to remove their shoes so as to be polite and not be unsanitary in dragging that into the house. Servants would often come and wash the feet after the shoes had been removed to remove what was left on the skin. So Moses removes his shoes not to defile the space that God occupies. He is to honor it with his respect and thoughtfulness. Another reason for the command to remove the shoes might have been to shift Moses from the preoccupations of his daily life and recognize that something different was happening, something noteworthy that required more attention and concentration. Removing his shoes put Moses in a different frame of mind. God wanted to shift Moses from the mundane to the divine. Muslims, Buddhists, and other religions also remove their shoes before entering their places of worship. This simple act often contains a religious ritual that marks the boundary between the sacred and the secular. The daily is set aside for a time to be with the divine. Today we have churches as one of the holy places where we experience God's presence. Think about, well, this place, St. Wilfrid's. This church. Like so many other churches, it has been made holy, consecrated with, blessed with prayers and holy water and holy oil and dedicated as a place of reverence for God. It has been set apart from other places as a place where we draw closer to God and to each other. Now let your toes feel the tiles beneath your feet. Do you feel those bumps, those ridges and crevices? those little high points and low points, the mountaintops as well as the valleys of shadow. This holy ground has been witness to many mountaintop experiences from joyful Easter mornings and Christmas Eves and marriages and baptisms, confirmations and receptions. And this church has also been a support for us through the valleys of the shadow in sadder times when We say goodbye to a loved one who has died, or when we bid farewell to someone leaving us as we do Janice, our organist today. To me, this is holy ground because it is a place of transformation, a place of change, a place of new beginnings, changed lives, and journeys' endings, a place where hearts are softened toward each other, toward God, and toward ourselves. A place where God's love is deeply experienced and shared freely. A place of hope and grace and reconciliation. And it doesn't stop here. When we drive out of the parking lot, some of this holy ground sticks to us as we go about our daily lives. You might think of it as sort of the pigpen effect from the peanuts. We can't see it, but it's there. And I, for one, am glad that it does stick to me, because there are times when I sorely need to remember that God is always present in my life, and when I recall that, I recall that I am standing on holy ground, a place set aside for my transformation. Now, I'm going to get back to the holy ground in just a minute, but I want to first briefly touch on our other readings In our other lessons today, we hear about revenge and how it is not our place to exact revenge upon others who have wronged us. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and the Lord will repay everyone for what has been done. Instead, we are called to treat our enemies with kindness and love. We should deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus' example. In a while, when we prepare for communion, we will be reciting the Lord's Prayer, in which we say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. As a child, this used to confuse me a little bit. I wasn't really sure why God was so concerned about me walking on someone else's yard. (laughs) I figured it out later. Now this, forgive those who trespass against us and leave Revenge-to-God thing is sometimes a hard thing for me to swallow, especially when I feel I'm the one who's been wronged. My humanity says there's a fairness and justice issue here that needs some attention. I know darned well when I've been trespassed on, when I have followed the rules and done what was expected, and yet someone else gets away with doing something wrong and even gets rewarded. Remember the story in the Gospels where Jesus teaches about the younger son who wasted his inheritance on extravagant parties and wild living? I often identify myself with the older son, the one who stayed faithfully on the farm with Dad and worked alongside of him all those years. And I feel his indignation when he saw Dad welcome that younger son back home with a banquet and not a word of rebuke. Let me tell you, things would have been different if I had been that father. (laughs) But fortunately, I am not God. I am not. I am. Some years ago, I had a co-worker. We'll call him Sal, who was difficult for me to work with. Perhaps you know the type. He was one of those guys that believed a woman's place was in the home, He was one of those that would start a discussion with the opener. Look, I don't want to argue with you, which always seems to make the other person to be the one who's starting the argument. He was one of those that would stab you in the back and then climb on the knife to get above you. He took credit for work and ideas that others provided. His nickname among the co-workers was Slick. He had deceived the managers, but not his fellow co-workers. On multiple occasions, I was the unfortunate trespassed on by Sal. I tried working with him and being a good employee to no avail. After I complained to my bosses, they finally separated us and we worked in different offices. And yet, I harbored a serious resentment against Sal for years. Oh, how I wanted to scream, Can't you see that this guy is nothing but a fake a cheater, and a liar. I wanted him exposed and relegated to some menial post or maybe even dismissed altogether. That was my idea of justice. This was one of my moments of being that older brother and seeing this younger brother get away with all sorts of bad behavior. I wanted revenge. Now fast forward to a night in October several years ago. Earlier, I mentioned that for me, holy ground is a place of transformation, a place where God does for me what I cannot do for myself, a place where my heart is softened. My car is holy ground for this very reason. As I was driving alone this night in October, God showed me how he sees me. Now, up to that point, I had convinced myself that I was a pretty good person, Not perfect, but doing okay. Remember, I was the older brother, working hard, paying taxes, law-abiding citizen, doing what was expected of me. But in a matter of seconds, I was shown my life from God's perspective. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Suddenly, I was the younger son. I was the one who had not lived the life that God had intended for me. I was the fake, the cheater, the liar. Had I put other gods before the one God? You bet I did. Success, career, relationships, and at the top of the list, me. I often turned myself into the God of my life. Had I taken the Lord's name in vain? Had I cursed using God's name? more times than I could count. Had I failed to keep the Sabbath as a day of rest, a day holy for the Lord? Oh yeah, working hard on that career, Mm -hmm. or recovering from a late night out at the clubs, or just plain laziness and apathy? Had I disrespected my mom and dad, well as a teenager for sure, And even now, as they are aging and have their challenges, do I get impatient and frustrated and short-tempered with them? All the time. Had I murdered anyone? Well, in my Department of Defense job, I may not have pulled the proverbial trigger, but I had aimed the bullet by providing data that was used to target buildings and people. So, yeah, I kind of had. Had I been unfaithful in my relationships? Perhaps not in action, but in thought? Yes, I had. Had I stolen from someone? Well, for starters, what about that personal stuff I did on company time? What about those copies I made or office supplies that I used for my own projects? Had I ever lied? Again, more times than I could count to avoid a fight, to avoid responsibility, to avoid accountability. I sure had. Had I coveted or had I wanted things that my neighbors or my friends had? Cars, relationships, clothing, houses, gadgets. Plenty of times. So here I was looking at my life through God's eyes and realizing that I was guilty of breaking all ten Commandments. Maybe not such a good person after all. But on that same night, where God showed me places where I had fallen short or failed, God forgave me. Where I failed to love my neighbor, God was loving toward me. Where I had resentments against God or others for past trespasses, God was merciful. And I was so. Very glad that it was God who was the judge and not me. On that night, I was forever changed, transformed. I was definitely on holy ground. My heart melted that day because I understood that God loves me when I do things right and when I do things wrong. God loves me. This love and acceptance and forgiveness is the grace of God. This is the good news that Jesus intends for us to know and live out in our lives. Do I still get angry when I feel I've been trespassed on? Of course I do. Do I still have resentments and hurts when things seem unfair? Sure. But I try to allow some of that holy ground that sticks to me remind me I can let those moments be times and places of transformation within me. There's a book called The Alchemist. Perhaps some of you have read it. It's been on the bestseller list. My partner, Robin, recommended it to me. In it, a simple shepherd in Spain sets off to find a treasure and has numerous adventures and mishaps along the way. And each time something unexpected or potentially bad happens, the shepherd initially feels upset and disappointed and maybe even angry, But then he learns to look at that problem from a different, more positive perspective and learn from it. He transforms the negative experience into something better. He lets go of getting even, lets go of revenge, lets go of trying to be God. Our world tries to convince us that the right response to being trespassed on is to stomp even harder on the one that trespasses against us. Don't get mad, get even. In the past couple of weeks, I've noticed new movies and TV series where the main theme seems to be revenge, an eye for an eye, or worse. But this is not the response that Jesus teaches. He teaches love and forgiveness for those who trespass against us. Every once in a while, I will see some televised courtroom scenes where families of those affected by crimes of an individual get their turn to address the guilty. Often when the words of those family members are bitter, angry, accusatory, and vindictive, the guilty person shows a stoic, unfeeling, or even haughty expression. However, when the family members confront the guilty person with their own grief, and yet find words to say, We forgive you. Then the guilty person often breaks down and displays remorse and contrition. Love transforms. Hate only creates more hate. My holy ground in my car that October night opened the door of my understanding of my rather flawed self and our loving and compassionate God. I was transformed I was on holy ground. What is holy ground for you? What do you hope will happen when you step onto your holy ground? As for me, I do my best to let go of my resentments. I do not want to seek after revenge. Instead, I want to become like that shepherd, the alchemist, learning lessons instead of getting even. Every situation has at least two sides, and I only know one side, my own. God, however, has the whole picture. God is the one to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. I try to let God cleanse the thoughts of my heart and let God be the one who judges those who trespass against me. He does a much better job of judging than I do. I am not God. I am not I am. And it's a darn good thing I'm not. Amen. Amen.